Yes. All right. Let's pray for this message. Father God, we love you. We praise you. We glorify you in the mighty name of Jesus. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's alive and that it's active and that it's sharper than any double-edged sword. God, we pray today that you'd use this word to change us, challenge us, and to convict us. Fathers, we've come into this place, Lord. We know it's because you want to speak something to us. And so, God, we pray that you would speak something specifically to us today, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Matthew chapter 9, verses 32 through 38, it says, As they went out, behold, they brought him a man, mute and demon-possessed. And when the demon was cast out, the mute spoke, and the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never seen like this in Israel. But the Pharisees said, He casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And then he said to his disciples, the harvest is truly plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So what's going on in this story? There's a demon-possessed man. Jesus comes in, delivers this guy from his demons. And then the Pharisees that are there look at him and say like, man, the only reason you're able to do this is because of bills above, man. You're a demon yourself. And Jesus is like, whatever. And so he goes to this other town and starts to preach the kingdom. And more people are saved and healed and all, uh, great stuff's happening. And then at the end of it, he says to his disciples, you know what? The harvest is plentiful, but what we're lacking in is workers. We're lacking in people that are willing to do the work to bring people into the kingdom. And so the title of the message today is the Lord of the harvest, the Lord of the harvest. And why do we title it that? Because Jesus loves people. Jesus wants to see people in his kingdom and in the family of God. And we should want what Jesus wants. If Jesus cares about people, we should care about people. And so the Lord of the harvest is asking for laborers this morning to see people come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, to be healed, to be shepherded by Jesus. But he needs laborers. He needs people that are on mission that say, you know what? God has called me to do work for him. And so I'm going to do that work. But it's not easy. It's going to be a long morning if y'all don't help me out this morning. It's not easy. No, it's not, man. If you're doing work for Jesus, it's not easy. But bless God, we've got some instructions from this sermon this morning that can help us get to where we need to be. So let's get into it. If you're going to labor for Jesus, you cannot listen to the haters. You cannot listen to the haters. Jesus always had to deal with people that misconstrued what he said, what he did, why he did it, how he did it, what he should be doing. And this is just another example of that where these Pharisees come into Jesus and say, hey man, you're doing this by the power of demons. You're doing it wrong. It says in verse 34, but the Pharisees said he casts out demons by the ruler of the demons. See, in their religious minds, they questioned the theology and tactics of Jesus. They said, you know what? If this is Messiah, if this is the chosen one, if this is the king of the Jews, he should be doing things this way that we think, not the way that he is doing things. And so what do they do? They call him a demon. They say, you know what? There's no other way that you can be doing this except by a demon. Now in this, what, what are they calling him in the Bible calls it Beelzebub or Beelzebul. Uh, and, and where that comes from is it comes from the idea of a Canaanite God and the idea of the, the prophets of Baal and how they had fake gods. It's from Second Kings chapter 1 and 2. It says, Now Isaiah had fallen through the lattice of his upper room in Samaria and injured himself. So he sent messengers saying to them, Go and consult, go and consult Beelzebub, the god of Ekron, to see if, he will, if I will recover from this injury. 
And, and, and that God of the Canaanites, that Baal God, is what the Pharisees are referencing to Jesus in this moment. It's really not anything more wicked that you could say to God himself. Because Jesus is God in the flesh. He's the Son of God. He's Messiah. And these Pharisees say to him, you are a demon. Not just a demon. You are the Canaanite Baal God Ekron demon. You're disgusting. We don't want anything to do with you. It's it's really, really disgusting what they said to Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been discouraged by what somebody has said to me before. Have you guys ever been discouraged by what somebody said to you? Right? They tell you you're not good enough. They tell you you're not strong enough. Or you, you, you tried really hard to do something. And then they told you like, man, that's, that just wasn't good at all, man. Like you shouldn't do that. Has anybody else experienced that in your lives? Some of you are like, no, man, my life's just walking, walk of encouragement. When I go, people throw pedals. They love me. Well, I know that for myself, man, I've been discouraged a lot in my life. I've had people that have said things to me. Uh, <laughs> we really don't have time to go into the things that people have said to me that have been really discouraged, but I'll share one with you. Uh, years ago, back when we were in the warehouse, uh, me and Crystal used to lead worship and uh, I played the piano and sang, and Crystal would sing, and uh, it was good, heartfelt worship. And I remember one Sunday, someone came up to me after church, and they said, you know, worship just isn't your calling. Uh, if, if, I, uh, if I were you, I probably wouldn't play anymore. And, and I, thank you. Like, thank you? I, you'll notice most of you have never seen me lead worship. You think it's funny I was made fun of? Or is that the nervous laugh? Was that the nervous laugh? Yeah. Yeah, the reason why I don't is because I was discouraged in it, right? Because people didn't say anything nice about it. So I was like, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. That's what discouragement does to you. It shuts you down. It makes you say like, well, why, why am I going to do this anymore? If someone believes that, there's got to be, you know, 50 other people that feel that way. So I'm not going to do that anymore. See, but Jesus wasn't discouraged by someone calling him a demon. He wasn't discouraged by it. He said, you want, you're going to call me a demon. I don't care. I am called by God. I'm going to do what I need to do. I'm going to continue to do what God has called me to do. It says in verse 35, then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and disease amongst the people. His response to being called a demon was to continue to do what he was doing even more so than he was doing it before. Jesus didn't let his haters keep him from doing what he needed to do. Jesus moved forward. He continued the work that he was intended to do for what was he supposed to do because he knew how important the mission was. If you're going to work for Jesus, man, you can't be discouraged by haters. You just can't. Now, going back to that worship thing, we continue to lead worship. And I know, man, I wasn't awesome at it, but I was doing my, I was doing what needed to be done for the kingdom until God started bringing great people around like Amanda and Mikel and everybody else that leads worship around here. It doesn't matter. I continue to do what I needed to do. David said this in Psalm 69, four, it says, those who hate me without a cause are more than the hairs on my head. Man, I identify with that. David, while sight... You know, you know what's really funny? And I keep telling y'all this thing, I choose to shave my head. You guys don't think I can grow hair. I'm about to, I'm about to grow some hair just to show all y'all. And then, and, and then, 
And then you guys be like, can we go back to the shaved head? I'm going to grow long bangs that come down to my eyes. I'm going to rock it like the 80s that come down over the ears. And then as I preach, I'm going to flip it in my head like that. Y'all will see. Wait, wait for it. In the fall, I'm going to grow my beard and my hair, and then y'all are going to eat crow. My wonderful locks. You guys will love it. The point of that scripture is not the connection that you guys have to my hair. Gosh, you guys are in rare form today. I'm going to change my sermon about something that's wrong with you. We'll get there. The reason why Jesus said in John 15, 25, he says, but this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. That, that's the point of it, right? David was, was hated because they had no cause against him. Jesus was hated because they had no cause against them. But people's hatred was never a discouragement to Jesus. It emboldened him to stay on mission, to do what he was supposed to do. He wasn't going to let people keep him off of mission. And here's what Jesus did, is that he prepared his followers and you to realize that if you're going to be for Jesus, you are not going to be liked. You're not. You're not going to be liked. John 15, 18, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. That's what Jesus said to his disciples, and that's what he's saying to us this morning as well. Because the people that would attempt to do simple things for Jesus are not going to be met with parades and praise. That's not what's going to happen at all. They're going to be met with anger and hatred. Are you letting these haters dictate what you believe and how you live this Christian life? Are you? Are you, are you discouraged because you say, you know, man, I, I've done that and I've, and I've tried to reach out to people and all I, all I get is scorn from my family and my friends and my coworkers. Nobody wants to listen to what I have to say. And I get it. But here's, here's what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that even though we are hated, we're not, to, we're not supposed to give back hate in return. That's not what the Bible says at all. It says in Luke 6, 27, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you. This is one of the greatest things that Christians are called to do is to love our enemies, is to take care of those people that hate us because of who we serve. And we cannot stop being who we are because the world doesn't agree with us. We just can't. And, and, and there's some of you that are sitting here this morning that have been serving God and been trying to do things for Jesus. And you're moving into this realm of like, you know what? I don't care anymore, man. Like I've tried it and, and people just hate me and they hate God. So now I'm just going to shut down. I'm not, I'm not going to try anymore. No, Jesus didn't stop. You're not going to stop. Jesus didn't let the haters keep him from doing it. You're not going to, haters are going to hate. They're going to do what they're going to do. You're going to soldier on. You're going to continue to do what God has called you to do because Jesus did what he was called to do. And in the end, you're going to win. You're going to win. We've, we've read the end of the story. We live for eternity with Jesus. We don't have to live a life of discouragement. You're on a temporary, temporary mission while you are here on this earth to prepare for eternity with Jesus. And you're not going to give up the fight. I don't care that people don't like you. I don't care that people hate you. It's completely irrelevant to the mission that you are on, which is to lead people to Jesus. If they felt that way about the savior of the universe, they're going to feel that way about you. And you just have to be able to live with it. It's just how it is. David, he was pursued and attacked by Saul. He never gave up. 
Paul never gave up. This, this Bible, if you would read it, you would see stories of people that went through some horrific things. And in the end, they said, you know what? I'm not going to give up for what God has called me to do because the mission is greater than my pain and mis- misery. Amen. 2 Timothy 3.1, but know this, in the last days, perilous times will come. Now, I've heard many a preacher say over the last 30 years that we're moving into perilous times, but I seem to think that I just feel that I feel that verse a little bit more in these times. Folks, we are moving into a time that you have never seen before in the history of humanity. And, And it's not even the it's not even the actions as much as it's the ideologies it's, it's just completely different uh, what, what we're dealing with. And you've seen this over the last 18 months. And, and this is why it's so perilous and why it's so scary. Is it's not, it's not the actions that are happening because actions continue to happen. I mean, Jesus said there'll be wars and rumors of wars. These are just beginning of the birth pains. That's what he said. Here, here's the most perilous part of it is that we are living in a time where thoughts and ideas come into the, the town square and they are met with little to no resistance. Yeah. That's the scariest part. Yeah. Is that now there's ideas that come out from governments or groups or corporations and the corporations are great to come along and completely come alongside these things and no one is allowed to question it. Yeah. No one's going to say like, just like even ask a question like, so what, what does this part mean? And they attack you and say, no, you're this and you're bad because you're asking a question. You're just like, dude, I'm just looking for clarification. Like, is this what we're doing? This is perilous. It really is. What, what, What has happened is that we're no longer able to even think or speak. The truth is, is that Christianity used to be the dominant ethos of America. It did. And movies and TV and all these other things and books. But now, if you look at movies and TVs and books and internet and everything, there's not a semblance of Christianity to be found on any of it. It's non-existent. And, and I'll give you an example. Like if, if someone came to this, uh, to this nation and they'd never been here before and their first introduction was our TV and movies, they would assume that America is filled with gay people. That's what they would assume. Why? Because every show, every movie, every storyline includes a gay person. Now, by some estimations, they say there's what? One to 5% of the population is gay. I think it's a stretch, but that's what they say. The representation is 100% in everything. But where's the guy that's just like your, hey, I go to church Christian guy? The neighbor that's not a zealot that's just mowing his lawn. His friend says, can you help me on Saturday? Sorry, I'm going to church. I'll have to have to church on Sunday. And then the storyline continues. You don't see any of that. You don't see people praying over meals. You don't see people going to church. You don't see people reading their Bibles. Uh, America, by some estimates, they say 70% of people in America are, are believers. I don't know if they're biblical Christian, but they say they're believers. But you don't see that representation in America at all in anything that we do at all. So when you try to be a Christian at work or school or anything else, there's no cultural reference. There's no like, oh, this is what we saw on TV or this is what we've been indoctrinated by the hashtag people through corporations. There's, there's none of that happening. And so if you're just merely like, uh, I'm a Christian, there's like, what? You're the devil. It's because of you. The pandemic is happening. This is literally what they say about Christians. Yeah. It's horrible. And let me make this clear. I'm not talking about all the social stuff. I can bang on the social stuff all day long. 
I'm talking about the simple ethos of Christianity. We love people. We forgive people. That, that means when you're at work, because it's funny, is the, the world's ideals don't produce any sort of love or forgiveness. Not at all. They're, they're a bunch of like pitchforks. Take them all. That's who they are. That's why they go burn cities down. The Christian ethic is forgiveness. The Christian ethic is love. That means if you're at work and someone gets caught stealing and they're like, we well, need to fire that guy. And you're the one that goes, hey, have we thought about forgiveness? Have we thought about restoration? Have we thought about how this person maybe made a bad decision and we can bring them to a good... That's being a Christian in the workplace. That, there's someone at work that is ostracized. Somebody else. You say, hey, man, I think we should love them. You say, what? what? No. Like, why? I don't know. Jesus loved us. Why don't we love somebody? That's being a Christian at the workplace. It's not like, well, I'm not eating this gay cake on Pride Month. Like, I mean, you know what I'm saying? But people, that's what they think being a Christian at work is. Dude, be a Christian, love people, forgive them, and show them what God's been able to do in your life. And I get it. Luke 21, 17, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But you cannot let it discourage you, man. You can't. Continue to do what you know that you need to do. Jesus kept it up, you keep it up. Jesus loved, you love, you forgive, you share, you invite, you serve, you give. You do it all for the glory of God. And I get it. Sometimes it's hard to maintain the standard. Sometimes it's hard to continue to do what you need to do. Even if they call you Beelzebub, even if they call you a demon, you cannot give up on the mission that God has called you to do because lives and souls are at stake. Amen? I've invited so many people to church that never come. Oh my gosh. I've invited more people that didn't come than came. And I, you know, every Sunday we do an altar call and, you know, it's not every Sunday. People aren't running to the altar, but, but for the ones that do, man, you get excited. You know, I mean, you guys know the O'Neills, James and Sylvia, they're good people. Amen. Yeah, man. I've been going to this church for 18 years. And the reason why they came is because, you know, we were in a McDonald's one day and I was like, man, I'm going to invite these people because I, I was like, I hope that somebody comes to church and then they showed up to church and never went away. And now they're like family members to my kids, auntie and uncle and all that stuff. Yeah, it's because you love the worship. Amen. Amen. They grew up on the Matt and Crystal worship. Olivia with the overhead and the little plastic things, making it happen. Y'all didn't know what we had it like back in the day. But you know what? If, if no one comes to church for, you know, 10 years of me asking, I'll keep asking for 10 more years to get another O'Neill's. I'll do it. I'm not going to be discouraged about it. I want to see people come into the kingdom. Amen. If you're going to labor for Jesus, you got to have compassion. That's the second part of the sermon. You have got to have compassion. Uh, so as much as you don't listen to the haters, you don't lose a heart of compassion for people. And I've been there, man. I've, I've been times when my compassion is, it's gone. And now I'm getting this mindset of us four no more. And I don't care about anybody or nothing because when you get hurt, that's like a natural response is you just isolate and you push people away and you say, I'm, I'm tired of getting hurt. But I, I read about Jesus and, and, uh, 
the transition of the story is he goes from being called a demon. And so he doesn't respond negatively to the haters. But then his response in verse 36, it says, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. That was Jesus's response. When he saw people that were hurting, he had compassion. He had a, he had an actual emotional response towards them. This is why we read in Acts 10, 38, it says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. And that's what Jesus did. Why was he able to do this? Because he was compassionate. He cared about people. When he looked at hurting people, his heart was changed and said, you know what? I want to do something for these people. I want them to experience God. Here's what Jesus knew and we should know is that people are not aware of their condition. They don't know. It's like Pastor Crystal said last week in her sermon. I see lukewarm people. They don't know that they're lukewarm. I see unsaved people, but they don't know that they're unsaved. Here, here's the, the interesting part about American Christianity. We are so culturally irrelevant. We're not even part of the conversation. They don't care who we are, what we're doing and where we're at. They don't even care. And so when you look at somebody, they don't even know their need for a savior because they don't understand sin. They don't understand creation. They don't understand God's holiness. They don't understand any of that. And so for us, when we think about what we should be doing, Jesus looked for people everywhere he went and said, this person needs a savior. That's what we should be able to do. Now, I don't know how you think, but this is the way that I think. Whenever I'm talking to anybody, the first thought that goes in my mind is, is this person a Christian? all the time. It doesn't matter where I'm at or or what I'm doing. And I've actually become to this place now in where I'm bold enough. I literally say to people, are you a Christian? That's what I say. And, 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 And here's what happens. If somebody is a Christian, they get so encouraged that I ask them. They get emboldened by it. Like, I am so thankful you asked. And if some people say, say, no, I'm not a Christian. I say, well, why aren't you a Christian? Why not? I say, because the type of person that you are, God can use you for the kingdom. I, I just go straight into it. I'm, I'm done being, you know, timid about it. I'm just like, dude, are you a Christian or not, man? Time is short. People need a savior, man. John 15, 22, Jesus said this. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. Jesus himself knew that people had to hear the message to know that they were sinners that needed a savior. If he hadn't come and spoken to them, they would have no sin. But now he has spoken to them. Now they have sin and they need a savior. And so because of Jesus's deep compassion, these are those words. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's Jesus's deep compassion for people that says, you know what? These people need to be in my kingdom. They need what I have to offer them. And here's the part of it, friend, is that I've said this to you before, but I revisit it because I don't want you to get it twisted. When people say the God of the Old Testament, there is no God of the Old Testament. People say the God of the New Testament, there is no God of the New Testament. There's just God. He is the God of the Bible. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so when we look at the Psalms in Psalm 86, 15, it says, but you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion, gracious, long-suffering, abundant in mercy. That's God's nature and character. It always has been that he was a compassionate, merciful God. And so that translates when we move from darkness into light, we become a new creation. We're no longer under the law of sin and death, that we take on the DNA of God and we become compassionate just like he was compassionate to us. Amen. Amen. 
When we talk now, let me say this, man. When we talk about his wrath, and I like talking about God's wrath, but talking about God's wrath doesn't negate his compassion. Talking about God's judgment doesn't negate his mercy. You can't appreciate God's mercy unless you appreciate God's judgment. You just can't. They're not mutually exclusive. They go together. Amen. But here's, here's what we don't want to do is we don't want to distance ourselves from the nature and character of God. God's character and nature is compassion. That's what we should have in our own lives is compassion. Psalm 103.13 says this. It says, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. So how does that translate to you? Do you have compassion on people? Do you have a compassionate heart? Do you, do you look at people that are hurting, angry, lonely, and tired and say, you know what? I think this person could benefit from the message of Jesus. And even those that are inside the four walls of the church, do you have compassion on those that you're in the family of God with? The Bible says in Galatians 6, 2, it says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. When you have compassion on somebody and you're bearing the burdens of, uh, of somebody else, you are fulfilling the law of Christ. That's what you're doing. And if you're not having compassion on other people, you are not fulfilling the law of Christ at all. We need to be people that have compassion. We need to be people that show compassion. And, and how do we do that? How do we develop compassion in our hearts? Let me explain it to you. If you've been on drugs, usually people that have been on drugs have compassion for people that are on drugs. Because they've experienced it. They, they've, they've walked through that. I've never been a drug addict. I, I've never even smoked marijuana. That's, that's not who I am. And so uh, and I'm not saying I don't care about drug addicts. What I'm saying is, is that I, I, my natural progression and, and just my natural response is I don't, I don't look at somebody that's a, a drug addict and, and identify with them because it's just not something I've ever dealt with. That's just not, just not who I am. For those of you that have dealt with those types of things, you're like, dude, I got buckets of compassion to those people because you walk through it. And that's great. There's other things that I have compassion for people with. Like if you've been married five to eight years and you have a couple kids and you don't have any money, like I got compassion for you. <laughs> I, I've walked through that. I've walked through the double diapers, no money, no one watching the kids. I don't know what I'm going to do. Hoping the church people will take your uh, kids after church. On, I've been through that. So if you're in that realm, I'm just like, stick with it. You'll get yeah. through it. Like, cause I've been through that, right? Yeah. I have a heart for veterans and other things like that. Cause I identify with it, but, but you know what? Here, here's where the rubber meets the road is that all of us have experienced God's compassion. Yes. All of us, it, you, you have to disconnect yourself from the activity of the sin and identify with sin. It doesn't matter what the sin is. Because people can say, oh, well, I'm not that, so I can't deal with that. You know what? I can identify with a drug addict that can't control their decision-making because I've been there. Yeah. I can identify with a drug addict that made a bad decision and is now reaping the benefits of their bad decisions. And, and so because I can identify with my own sinful nature, it gives me compassion for other people that are struggling with their sinful nature as well. The Bible says this in 2 Corinthians 1, 3, and 4. Let's see what it says. Blessed be the, Lord, the God and uh, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Verse 4, it says, Who comforts us in all of our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble. 
in any trouble with the comfort by which we ourselves were comforted by God. Now, I don't know about you, but I've sinned here and again in my life. And what happens is, is that when I've sinned, uh, when I've sinned and then I need God's grace and mercy, I'll get on my knees, I'll go to the scriptures, I'll cry out to God, the Holy Spirit will come in and, and I'll actually feel a lift. I'll feel a, a, a deliverance where that shame and that guilt will be lifted from my life. And I'm now walking correctly with God because I've confessed my sins and I'm no longer under the penalty of sin because uh, of Jesus. It's a great feeling. And so because I've experienced that compassion of God, I want other people to experience that compassion of God. I want other people to experience what his grace and mercy is like in their lives so they can walk in the freedom that Christ, uh, that Christ provides. Amen. But compassion is more than pity. It's about having a heart for somebody. Amen. I, I don't know about you, man, but I've felt like at times in my life that no one wanted me, that no one loved me, that no one wanted to invite me and that no one wanted to be around me and people didn't like me. I felt like that many times in my life. And, and, and if you talk to most people, most people have felt that way at times in their lives. And so the, what we have and they don't have is the compassion of Jesus in our lives to be able to share that with them. Amen. That's why Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. 1 Peter 3.8 says, Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. And I've said this before, but Christians should be the most compassionate people in the room. God has shown us compassion. We should show compassion to other people. Amen. The Bible says that we should rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And yes, sometimes that means it's their fault. They did it and they don't deserve your help and they don't deserve your compassion and they don't deserve your love. But such were some of you. We didn't deserve his grace and compassion. Look at Lamentations 3, 22 through 23. Through the, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Amen. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Man, you, you should be a, a mark on the middle of the road, man. You should be, you should be destroyed based on your wickedness. And then somehow we get saved, sanctified and delivered. And then someone messes up and we run from them and we say, Oh, we don't want anything to do with this person. Instead, we should be compassionate on them in the same way that God was compassionate passionate on us. Amen. Luke 15, 20, when he arose, he came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. That's why people love the story of the prodigal son. It was the compassion of the father that loved the son that had done everything wrong. That should be our heart. That should be our heart for the wicked. It's just compassion because we were the prodigal. Here's the third part of this sermon. If you're going to labor for Jesus, you do not stop working. Amen? You do not stop working. You can't stop working as a Christian. Now, I, I don't know if you've noticed this, but it feels to me like there's a shortage of people that want to work. And, and it might be coupled with, you know, a, a bunch of free unemployment money that people are cashing unemployment checks instead of getting out there and working. And then I get it, man. If you make the same money sitting at home, then you, uh, you know, go out and put your hand to the plow. Most people would be like, eh, 
you know, it's human nature. It's hard to, to push it. Some people will do it, but most people won't. But you talk to anybody who's in business or at their work and hiring is hard right now. It really is. And it's because people don't want to work. People don't want to work. There's a ton of jobs and money to be made, but there's not a lot of people who want to work. I mean, I, I've, I've seen an advertisement that uh, 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 someone driving a truck right now can make $87,000 a year just driving a truck. Man, that's good money. And, you, and if you wonder why your food prices are going up, it's because they don't have enough people to be able to drive those trucks, to be able to deliver our, deliver our food. Every, every kid wants to be a YouTuber, right? It's their goal. They don't want to be doctors, lawyers, police, fire, plumbers, electricians, delivery people, all the, all the jobs that actually make this world work. I want to be Mr. Beast. That's what I want to do. I want to be dude perfect. Like, dude, get a job, man. Get a job. Get a life. Here's the truth, man. Work is biblical. Work is biblical. Genesis 2.15, that the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. Now, I'm sorry, women, your curse was pain and childbirth. Men, your curse was work by the sweat of your brow all the days of your life. And so we as Christians are supposed to work. Now, the Bible says that work is biblical, but laziness is not. Proverbs 18, 9, he who is slothful in his work is a brother to him who is a great destroyer. Now, let me say this. If you are a Christian, it is a requirement to work for Jesus. It's a requirement. We don't have volunteers at this church. You get voluntold. Everybody's doing work for Jesus. 100% of the people do 100% of the work. There's no retirement in Jesus. There's no like, hey, I did my time. There's no, I don't have time for that. There's no, I don't feel called to that. Everybody should be doing something. And if you're not doing anything, you're wrong. You're doing wrong. Everybody. Everybody can do something. You may not be able to do everything, but you can do something. And your seniors are, well, I ain't doing nothing yet. Call Pastor Todd all day, every day until he finds somewhere for you to serve in this church, man. I guarantee you he'll find. And even if you say, well, someone's already served, you stand next to him and the two of you can do it together. Two are better than one. That's what the Bible says anyway. But here's the other part of it. Even if you don't have a paying job, you can get your own stuff squared away. Here at the church and at home. It translates. Every, if you don't have discipline in one area of your life, you're not going to magically have discipline in another area of your life. Discipline translates. You have to have discipline in every area of your life. And so if the way your household is set up, that you're the one that stays at home and someone else works, do work at home, man. Don't sit around eating bonbons, watching soap operas. You know what I'm saying? They even make bonbons anymore. That's what they used to always say. Some of y'all are like, what's a bonbon? Anyway, I think they're ice cream. Amen. The point is, is that you can be a person that works with what God has put in front of you. Whatever you have, man, it can be squared away because it translates. This is what the Bible says in Galatians 6, 4, and 5. But let each one examine his own work. That means you should be looking at your work. And then he will have rejoicing in himself alone and not another. For each shall bear his own load. There used to be this idea of a Christian work ethic. This is what we were known by. No longer anymore. That's, that's just not who people think of us. Now we get blamed for pandemics. It's true. What does that mean to you? Are you a hard worker? Do you get stuff done? 
Is that what people know about you? And now here's the thing. People say, well, I'm not that good at that. You, you working hard doesn't take talent. It doesn't take talent at all, at all. Like there, where is, is brother Anthony here this morning? He was here for service. Would he take off? Is he out there? Is he in the parking lot? He's probably doing something. You know, brother Anthony is that dude comes down here during the week and just mows the lawns of the church. Not for any other reason. He's just, there's work to be done. He's going to do it, man. He's always serving on a safety team and just doing stuff. He's like, pastor, whatever else needs to be done, man. I just want to help out. He's a hard worker, man. He really is. But if you're sloth, if you're slothful at home, you'll be slothful in your job that you get paid for. And you know what? It translates into what you do for the kingdom as well. I want to give you a few work verses this morning. And I'm going, to, I'm going to rattle these off. Why? Because as soon as the preacher starts talking about work, everybody immediately is like, but it's by grace we've been saved by faith and not of works that no man can boast. <laughs> but the verse right after it says that you were created for works yes. in Christ Jesus. Amen. Ephesians 4.28, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who is in need. 1 Corinthians 15, 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with, with me. Proverbs 12, 11, he who tills his land will be satisfied with bread, but he who follows frivolity is devoid of understanding. Proverbs thirteen four: the soul of a lazy man desires and has nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made rich. First Timothy 5, 8, but if anyone does not provide for his own and especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. For even if we were with you, we commanded you this, if anyone will not work, he will not eat. Can we agree that God has created us for work? Yes. yes. So I want you to realize that work is a biblical activity. And truthfully, I think some people get depressed because they don't work hard enough. Yeah. It's in our DNA to work. God created. We're, we're in the DNA of Jesus. And so we create as well. We, we have to produce something. And so, you know, we become so slothful and now we have machines to do everything for us. So you get no sense of like accomplishment at the end of the day of like, man, I earned the right to go to bed tonight. And so we've got to be people of work. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Uh, Proverbs 26, 15. The lazy man buries his hand in the bowl. It wearies him to bring it back to his mouth. And that's literally a lazy person, right? He puts his hand in the pork rinds, but he's so lazy. Oh, I can't even, I can't even lift the hand back to me. That's how lazy I am. It wearies him to bring his hand back to the bowl. So what do we do with that, man? We work for and as unto the Lord. Let it be for his glory, for him. Don't, don't, don't be so worked up for money. Because I'll tell you, man, the money will come. If you work hard, you will turn around and you will have more money. But if you seek after money, you'll never have enough. You just work really hard and all of a sudden the boss goes, hey man, we're going to promote you. Hey man, we're going to give you some more money. Hey, we can't hire anybody. You're working so hard. We want to make sure that we keep you. All that stuff. But the truth is, is maybe you're not working hard enough. Maybe you're not. You know, my circle is pastors. And so when I talk to pastors, a lot of times like, oh man, my church isn't doing this. I'm like, yeah, you're probably not working hard enough, man. God rewards hard work. He does. 
He does. John, but now here's the part though. Don't labor for the food that perishes. That's what Jesus said in John 6, 27. But the food which endures to everlasting life. Work for kingdom stuff. There are many things that you will not do or have, but if you do kingdom work, you, all the things you will have invested in are going to pay biblical returns. Like when you look at what we do here, man, it's all just like arranging chairs on the Titanic. It's just nonsense. But at the end of the day, anything that you do for the kingdom will last forever. It will last forever. The people that come to Christ will go to heaven with you. The the love and the care and the forgiveness, the people that you lead to Christ, those people are the things that are going to tarry forever. Now, let me say this, and I'll end you with this. You guys are probably ready to go and start doing some work. There's nothing, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with recreation at all. There's nothing wrong with recreation. There's just something wrong with retirement. There's just something wrong with retirement. Now, people say, well, do I get to retire from my job? Yes. So you can come give us more help at the church. Yeah. So what do you do? Because retirement is not a biblical word. It's like Crystal and I talk about um, uh, retirement, and I don't know how many more years I got, uh, probably at least 20. And then we're like, what are we going to do when I'm retired? I don't know, but I'm, hopefully I can do other things that don't require me to write a sermon every single week. I have 40 years of sermons I can recycle for the last 20 years of my life. <laughs> And this isn't to earn our salvation. It's because our salvation's already been earned. Amen? Amen. Amen. So the title of the message, the Lord of the harvest, it's what we're talking about. And if you're going to labor for Jesus, don't listen to haters. If you're going to labor for Jesus, you've got to have a heart of compassion. And la- lastly, if you're going to labor for Jesus, man, you've got to put in some work. Amen? Amen? Amen. Would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads? If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, I want to invite you to become one. It's really quite easy. Either you're a Christian or you are not. Either you've given your life to Jesus or you haven't. If you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never said, man, I I want to be forgiven of my sins. I want to be set free. I want to live for him. If you've never made that decision before, we want to give you an opportunity to do that today. It's really quite easy. You just say, man, I want to be forgiven. I want to be set free. I want to live for Jesus. And if you need to make that decision for the first time today, I want you to raise your hand right now and say, that's me. I want to give my life to Jesus. Is there anybody that needs to do that for the first time? I want to pray with you. Secondly, I always ask people, maybe you know the truth, you've walked in it before, but you've been far from God. Are you raising your hand this morning to give your life to Jesus? Have you not done that before? What? Come here, sweetie. Praise God, that tiny little hand was in the sky. I didn't even see it. Oh, Pastor Crystal, will you pray with her? Come over here. Come over here. You can clap. Come here. Come here. Pastor Crystal's going to pray with you. Man, I went on to the next step. Is your hand Keep your, I didn't say put your eyes down. do this for another 20 years to get one kid to come to the kingdom. If you need to rededicate your life to Jesus, you can raise your hand right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. He sees those hands. Father, we thank you for your grace and mercy in our lives. God, we thank you that you're a God that delivers.
laborers that sets free. Father, we pray that we would be laborers. God, that we would not listen to discouragement, that we would maintain a heart of compassion. God, that we would do great things for you, God, and we would not give up on the work. We thank you, we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen. Go ahead and stand with me this morning. Hey, we want to thank you so much for being online with us today. I want to remind you, if you're not a follower on Facebook, please like our page on YouTube. Please subscribe. Follow us on Twitter. Tell all your friends. Continue to watch online. We thank you for watching. We love you so much. Have a great day.